0: Welcome back to She is Becoming. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's Word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You can find our episodes on doctrine, culture, church history, testimonies, and more on whatever podcast platform you typically use, or on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. If you follow our episode on whatever podcast platform you use, you can get notifications when we post a new, a new episode. And make sure that you follow us on Instagram at She Is Becoming Podcast, so you can engage with us, catch with our reels, our giveaways, and pray with us. Well, I am your co-host Delaney here in the studio with my co-host Beth.
1: Well, Delaney, let's start today with what we like to start our. Podcast with, and that is asking each other this question. Yes. And it's always interesting. And we learn so much about each other, and the listeners really get to learn more about who we are, too, kind yeah. of at the heart level. So, what is God saying to you lately, Delaney?
0: I think what the Lord has been saying to me lately is that um, I will give you the margin, the strength, the daily bread that you need for today. Mm. Like, I have a lot of hats that I wear, a lot of things going on. You do. And so I feel like the Lord has been giving me what I need to not only make it all feel more manageable, but I feel like he's made me um, more efficient. Has I feel like he's stretched my time almost or maybe made me more productive. Yeah. In a really sweet way where I've, I, it could only be him because I am not naturally this, um, maybe disciplined or um, productive on my own. So it is truly a work of the Holy Spirit that he has He has given me what I need to get through this homework assignment, to get through this thing at work, to get through, um, you know, what do I need to do with Jack's today and the learning with all of that. He's given me exactly what I need for every day. So. It's a life of trust, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. figure if God has given you all of
1: this, if this is what he's put on your plate, mm-hmm. you will have time and what you
0: need for each item. Yeah. And it does feel like sometimes he freezes the time. I know we were talking to someone yeah. earlier who said that, that it, it feels like he freezes the clock and gives you time to get it all done. I know. So I will sit here and I'll, if I'm working on a message or some teaching
1: and I'll look at the clock and I'll think, wow, it's only two. I thought I would be here till four, you mm-hmm. know, working on this. And it it does happen. But I think when you're really putting the Lord first and trusting him with your schedule and your and whatever your activities you're involved in, he is there with you. You know, you do mm-hmm. life with God, not yeah. apart from him in any way. So doing life with God um, is such a great guide. And, and in it, when we're with him, he's constantly
0: providing. He never runs out of resources for us ever. Yeah, I actually learned that um, in an Old Testament class that I'm in. I can't remember which passage in Exodus it is, but it's the passage where it, with the burning bush where God says, I am who I am. And he tells Moses that he will be with him. And my Old Testament professor was saying that um, the in the Hebrew, it, it means something closer to um, I will be who I will be. And so Really, what the Lord is communicating to Moses by saying, "You know, I will be who I will be, or I am who I am," is that I will be near to you. Mm-hmm. And he he just gets done telling, you know, Moses to you need to go to Egypt, and these are the things that you're going to do. To um, I'm going to use you to, you know, deliver the people from Egypt. And Moses is like, "I'm not going to be able to do that. I, I'm not your yeah, guy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not your guy." And so the Lord says, "I will be with you." And then this, and then it's like God is communicating to Moses that that is who he is, is he is the God who is, is near. Mm-hmm. And so that that was a, a powerful thing for me to hear of like, okay, like and you've this heard is similar his nature. I, God sees. God yeah, sees God me. Sees. That's I cry. know that was Genesis so 16. meaningful to you yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So just sweet. Very sweet. Thanks for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Delaney. Love to hear your heart. Well, today we're going to switch gears now. Today we have a church history episode. Today we're going to be talking about one of our favorite groups in Christian history. People often get a wrong idea about this group when they think about the Puritans. The Puritans. And certainly the Puritans didn't do everything right, but there is much we can learn from them and from their mistakes. Now, many think the Puritans were really stuffed stuffy people, bitter, Mm -hmm. legalists, or some think they were just toxic fundamentalists. This view of Puritanism came much later in the movement, actually, and is not an accurate description of the original Puritans. C.S. Lewis said this about the Puritans, we must picture these Puritans as the very opposite of those who bear that name today. Interesting, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. He believed we should think of them as young, fierce, progressive intellectuals, very fashionable and up to date. They they were on top of the latest things in the church and were responding in a biblical way. Mm-hmm. They were not just teetotalers or um, uh, they were really um not against alcohol necessarily, or beer, but they were against the uh, inconsistencies in the church, against the the leaders of the church, uh, against these kinds of um, things that were non-biblical and were put upon people, these pressures from the church. So they were they were Puritans, they were purifying the church. Mm-hmm. The Puritans were devoted to the purity, Now you understand why that word of Christianity, which had a huge emphasis on these two things, scripture and holiness. Mm -hmm. The Puritans were fierce, passionate. They were lovers of scripture who devoted themselves in such a profound way to the word. Mm -hmm. The Puritan commentaries and books are incredibly rich doctrinally. They're beautifully written and very applicable to us today. So today, Delaney, we're going to outline for our listeners, first of all, a history of the Puritans, a survey of their greatest works and some of the key Puritans who they are. We're going to talk about major Puritan doctrines, and then we're going to explain how the Puritans impacted church history and us today even.
0: Yeah. Well, the Puritans definitely get a bad rap. I feel like when I learned (laughs) about them in history class, um, it was definitely descriptions um that were more accurate to maybe the later later portion of um, this Puritan almost kind of like a Reformation I would call it um, but this the original Puritans and their writings and um, just their impact on church history is, is truly remarkable So um, the Puritans, We'll just give you some history here. Um, following the Reformation, there was a little bit a little bit of overlap, but it's mainly following the Reformation, uh, Reformation and in many ways, expanding on some of those key Christian doctrines, which the Reformers weren't able to cover. The Puritans sought to bring another type of Reformation. Puritanism began in um, the 16th century. It continued through the 17th century in England, and it eventually came to America, where a group of people wanted to purify the church. Uh, what does this mean? They wanted reform from um, the Catholicism and the Anglic- Anglicanism of the day, um, which was unbiblical. Very similar to what um, Luther, you know, wanted with reform with the Roman Catholic Church. And because of these beliefs um, that the Puritans had, they clashed with the Anglican church at the time in a lot of ways. One was the popish idolatry that existed within the Catholic church at the time. Anglican is kind of a sect of Catholicism. Um, popish idolatry was the worship of the saints in Catholicism. And this almost um, godlike treatment of the pope at the time, This uh, he was given almost like a godlike authority And the Puritans insisted that this popish idolatry was unbiblical. And they drew on images from scripture and they incorporated them into everyday life as a means to fix their eyes on God. They believed that uh, covenant theology was the means of how we are able to have a relationship with God. And they were greatly influenced by John Calvin. Um, They were strong Calvinists and they were greatly influenced by a lot of the reformers. So,
1: what what does that
0: mean exactly? Can you
1: sum that up? What is a Calvinist?
0: Yeah. So, Calvinist basically means that um, you believe that before the foundation of the world, that God chose you to be saved. And so that's helpful in case our listeners, that's a general, general overview. Um, We do have an episode on that though, um, called, uh, pre, I think it's, what did we call it? Predestination versus free will that you can look back on if you want to get more into that. But, um, that, that, that really shows you to just their um, they were dedicated to the Bible, what the Bible said about salvation, right? Um, And so in 1534, King Henry VIII um, separated the Church of England from the Catholic Church. So Protestantism spread rapidly under his reign and under the reign of King Edward VI, who reigned um, for six years after. Then when Queen Mary took over in 1553, she brought Catholicism back as the religion in England. So you can kind of imagine this divide that the Puritans um, were dealing with. You know, you have nearly 20 years of being able to practice, you know, their Protestant faith. This was now taken away. And so a lot of Puritans uh, and Protestants in general were exiled from their homes. One of them actually being John Calvin. But um, Queen Mary, who brought Catholicism back, only ruled for five years. Then Queen Elizabeth ascended to the throne and she wanted to reestablish Protestantism um, as England's religion. And her reform really disappointed most Protestants, um, including the Puritans. The Puritans really sought. Um, Reform within the church and within the government, whereas, um, you know, this other kind of group in this Protestant mix, the Separatists, sought total separation from the Church of England. Puritans kind of wanted to stay and help from within. Um, But both the Puritans and the Separatists um, faced enormous backlash from the church, even persecution um, under this queen who was bringing Protestantism back, which I thought was very interesting. Um, But so the Puritans basically had to get really creative with their reform. They weren't able to change the Church of England from within. So they started preaching and writing. And the Puritans became very successful, I would say, in their creative attempts at reform. Um, Their influence really started spreading. It grew even to um, Parliament and universities such as Oxford and Cambridge. And so then we have um, a new king after Queen Elizabeth. So James VI, who was shockingly said to be Calvinist, dismissed the Puritans' qualms against the centralized church in England with the phrase, no bishop, no king. Fascinating, huh? Yes.
1: So what they're really doing here is they're using the church to protect their power. Is mm-hmm. that what
0: it is? Yeah, I, I, I got a commentator's quote on this phrase, and this is what they said about it. They said, by which he meant that the enforcement of the bishop's authority in religion was essential to the maintenance of royal power.
1: Fascinating.
0: Ooh, yeah. that's a scary well, statement. That's
1: that's been history, where they'll yeah. use a state church to control the people Yeah, as a means of power.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. so this statement, I mean, from... You know James the Sixth was really taking a stance against any kind of like non conformity which would include the Puritans, and so some Puritans reacted by compromising and conforming slightly. Um, others left many puritans went to america at this juncture um some stayed in england and refused to pivot in their beliefs and were thrown in jail a lot of them um there's some there's some like crazy high percentage out there of like i think it was like 75 percent of puritan pastors at the time had been had spent time in jail um for their beliefs and so the new kings reigned and You know, yet this Puritan spirit and belief still spread like wildfire under all of these new regimes. And you kind of get this sense with all the new rulings. It was this back and forth, back and forth, like, okay, maybe this king will, you know, want to purify the church too. And this is why you... (laughs) the church can't depend on politics. Totally. It has to depend on God and his word. Totally. And so, you know, the Puritans, though, I really appreciated their devotion, though. They they Mm -hmm. stayed, for in general, they stayed Mm -hmm. very consistent to scripture, Mm -hmm. despite all of this back and forth. And so American Puritanism at this point was um, primarily centralized to the Massachusetts colony. Some of the theology that developed at this point in the american puritan colony from my recent um i think there's some evidence that some of it became unbiblical um like very legalistic um so like i know that there was this whole thing this whole uh, policy about how only the elect which means like the chosen um by god could hold political offices so i think there de- there definitely is a piece of that um that i from what i saw was mainly in this american puritanism um but Where this it
1: can go too far
0: yeah, for and, sure. And get
1: into areas where it's outside church.
0: Yeah, it was a hyper, like a hyper Calvinist. <laughs> um, I would say. Sure. Uh, this bad theology eventually actually led to the Great Awakening and uh, this Pur- and Puritan leader Jonathan Edwards to speak out against this kind of belief system. So Puritanism is really interesting. Started in Europe, um, spread throughout Europe, did impact America. Jonathan Edwards uh, would have been. I think he he called himself a Puritan, but he was a little bit later after this movement. But they still claim him from all the research I did. Yeah.
1: And we'll talk a little bit more about them. But so let's go on now and talk about some of those well known people like Jonathan Edwards, uh, Puritans and some of their best known written works. This is not an exhaustive lif- list. They were very prolific, really, but it will give you the flavor of the people known as the Puritans. Many of these are still read and loved today. Many of them you can be you can find them on Amazon. Oh yeah, there are a lot of them are on Amazon. <laughs> they are. They are. I was so pleased when I started looking all this up. The first one I want to mention, some of you may be very familiar with, it's it's a prayer book called The Valley of Vision, Mm -hmm. and it's written by Arthur Bennett. This is a classic book of prayers on various topics we still can relate to and pray today. If you want to learn how to pray with great fervor, you want to love God and have a high view of God, keep this prayer book in Mm -hmm. your library. This book is on my classic shelf and it feeds my soul. Um, When I was teaching Bible study fellowship every week over those many years, I often turned to this on a Tuesday morning to read. He's got a lot of prayers in here for people who teach the word or are ministers. Let me just read a couple little paragraphs here. Notice the language, how beautiful it is and how of the heart Mm -hmm. these prayers are. I thank thee for the holy scriptures, their precepts, promises, directions, light. In them may I learn more of Christ, be enabled to retain his truth and have grace to follow it. Help me to lift up the gates of my soul that he may come in and show me himself when I search the scriptures. For I have no lines to fathom its depths, no wings to soar its height. By his aid I may be enabled to explore all its truth love them with all my heart, embrace them with all my power, and engraft them into my life. So I think one of the things that really impressed me about this book is how heartfelt the prayers really are Mm -hmm. and how applicable they are to even life today. And even the old language, somehow, um, it it makes it
0: more earnest. Yeah. And there's just a beauty in it. Like, you know, you don't read prayers like this often. The richness, um, I have found myself also going back to those as like a supplement towards the end of my quiet time yeah. of kind of concluding with maybe one of those passages from yeah. Valley Vision.
1: It's beautiful, and mm-hmm. any there's all different topics in there. So that, that would be one piece from the, the Puritans that, that is really special. Um, another one is Pilgrim's Progress. This Yay. is a, a classic book written by John Bunyan. He lived between 1628 and 1688, and he was a writer and a pastor. He had a unique way to write in like a lengthy parable. Mm -hmm. So this whole book is a parable. It is still considered a masterpiece of writing, still one of the most often- uh, bought and read Christian books. Mm-hmm. Um, it carries in this lengthy parable, um, spiritual truths that are illustrated in the life of the main character, and his name, of course, would has to be Christian. Christian. Christian goes on a long journey looking for the celestial city Which parallels so closely our Christian walk and all the perils he goes into and out of, and Mm -hmm. who he meets on the way, and how he's trying to be distracted, and he has this big weight on his back. John was imprisoned; Um, he was imprisoned. The author was imprisoned for many years because of his Puritan beliefs, like you said, Delaney. there were so many were imprisoned um, when this conflict with the state church arose. This classic book was penned
0: in his 12-year period of incarceration. That I did not know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That and I think that there's a couple of versions of that book. I don't know if abridged is the right word, but um, what, what's it called where it's more easily readable? Yeah. Like you can like my mom read it to me when I was young and then they actually have a movie now yes. that Jax has watched several times that's pretty fantastic and there's a children's version of it yeah and i read that to yeah. our
1: kids called the the dangerous journey
0: yeah it's it actually, the illustrations are great yeah i feel like especially for that age too it helps them kind of like put uh images to like these christian concepts yes, in a really powerful way mm-hmm, yes
1: mm-hmm. now so that's those are two classics another classic that i just recently read is called the divine cordial i'm reading it too
0: are you isn't it so good oh it's i i I have a hard time not highlighting every word Uh,
1: you should see my copy yes it's Uh, fantastic why didn't i just dip it in my red highlight right i know well it's written by thomas watson the divine cordial kind of a foreign sounding name Mm -hmm. um it's very it's still read widely read and i recently read this i just loved it Thomas Watson was another Puritan pastor during the 1600s. The divine cordial is a whole commentary and teaching on one verse. One verse. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He had a unique style that was very straightforward, Mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yes. And yet so beautifully written. He's very fond of making lists, which I appreciate. Like, here's the three points for this or four points points for this. He was very organized, very logical. However, this work highlights his beauty of the language that he had and his high view of God. He was a master at illustrating all of his big points in such a unique way. I highly recommend this book as well. Mm-hmm. It can be read. I read this as part of a devotional time in my uh, quiet time with the Lord. I would read a little bit of it because it was so uh, f- dense and filled with beauty and truth. It's rich. I
0: just read it alongside when I was reading the Bible. And you, sh- it shows you how the Puritans clung to every single word in Scripture. They did, like he, like Thomas Watson and Divine Cordial, goes through every single word. In this in this Romans 8 28. It is it is impactful. And the amount of theology.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, and comfort and knowledge, what you're gonna learn about yeah. God. It's sweet. It's so deep. Yeah. And this is another reason I know we've said this before. Read the dead guys. Yeah. <laughs> They're Fantastic. so rich. They're yeah. so rich. Yeah. All right. Other famous works by Watson. So we know this divine cordial is special, but he's also written a few more that are very good. Body of Divinity. Um, Another one called The Ten Commandments. Another one, The Art of Divine Contentment and The Doctrine of Repentance. And I am hoping to read more of these. I so enjoyed his writing. Mm -hmm. Now, another prominent leader and pastor of the early Puritans was John Owen. He was an intellectual, but yet his teaching and his writings are accessible to all. He really tackled the harder theological topics and does a deep dive. Some of his classics to explore are these, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Love that title. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit, Communion with God, Sin and Temptation, and Mortification of Sin. Well, there's something, a phrase we haven't heard much of, yeah. which really deals with the ongoing struggle that we have with sin. So John Owen is another one to be reading. Matthew Henry he also was a Puritan, another English pastor who did a lot of writing of biblical commentary. Yeah, I might recognize that name. Yes, don't you have this on your shelf? I do. I have this commentary. It's on the whole Bible, the Matthew Henry Commentary on the whole Bible. That's what it's called.
0: And on Blue Letter Bible, if you ever go to the commentaries there, there's usually a Matthew Henry somewhere.
1: Yep, yep. Yep. It's classic. Um, The commentary is not overly academic, um, somewhat devotional, and has applications to life. This commentary has truly, Delaney, stood the test of time, hasn't Mm -hmm. it? And here again, we see this very intellectual yet relatable and interested in educating Christians to know God and a personal holiness. He wanted, these Puritans wanted people to know God's word, which was kind of foreign because it was kind of um, the leaders in the church, that early church in Catholicism, were the keepers of the Bible. And they didn't think the average lay person could handle it. So you can see how the Puritans and even Matthew Henry writing this commentary was to put the Bible accessible to all.
0: Yeah, And it would have been really scandalous at the time. Truly. Truly.
1: Another person you mentioned earlier, Delaney, is Jonathan Edwards, and has to be mentioned along with this, because uh, his movement was referred to as the New Light, but it really carried on with many of these Puritans' teachings and ways, which he was greatly influenced by. Edwards didn't live in England. He's the exception. He lived in New England in the United States. Jonathan Edwards is most known for his zealousness, and his fire and brimstone style. His famous sermon was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now, have you read it?
0: No, but oh. I kind of want to now. You do need I'm to read it. I'm kind of scared to read it. No, now. no, it's fascinating. It's yes,
1: yes, it's a, it's, you need to read this. The reaction, however, to this sermon was one of people in the middle of the sermon were crying out for God's mercy, crying out. Wow. Falling down, many repented, many came to faith, and it is often attributed to the start of the Great Awakening, which was a revival that spread across the nation. It also has been, though, greatly criticized for its overemotion and its, you know, fire and brimstone, you know, the, the threat of hell. You read it, listeners, and you be the judge. Yeah,
0: yeah. The Puritans, I mean, they certainly did not do everything right. But man, their devotion to the God, to his word is is admirable.
1: It is. And, you know, I don't have issue with this sermon. I really, as I read it and thought about it, I thought, you know, how what is mercy? What is kindness? Telling people they're going to hell. Not telling it as bluntly maybe as he did, but remember that people are perishing because yeah. we're not sharing the gospel. I mean, we have to share the gospel and this it motivates me to share the gospel. Yeah. Actually telling, I and, mean, that's the yeah, loving thing to it's do. It's a loving thing to do. Yeah. So Delaney's, can you give us um, also, now we talked about the people, the history. Now give us some of those central themes from the Puritans.
0: Yeah. I had a hard time picking these because there were so many good I ones. I I, I was going to pick four. I, I just narrowed it down to two because they're just so good. I think One of my favorite things I think that kind of sets the Puritanism apart was this this whole doctrine and how they practice daily living. The author of Puritan Theology, which was a book written pretty recently that kind of goes through all of these Puritan books and gives you kind of some central themes of Puritan theology, described how the Puritans lived their lives like this. He said that since 16th century, um, the Reformers brought us the doctrines of grace. Then the Puritans come two generations later and they love the Reformer doctrines. And so um, they kind of say we need to live and so that's what we mean by they they kind of expanded on what the reformers were doing. So the Puritans believed that holy living should affect every area of their lives. They were dedicated to this pursuit of holiness in their personal lives. They were tenacious with their evangelism. They were contagious in their joy.
1: You know, that is would be foreign to the legalistic um, Ritualistic church. This yeah. is this is very counter that in some ways,
0: and I can see why they were persecuted and counter what we think of when we think about Puritans. And they really loved the church. That is repeated in their writings over and over. Their their just their love for the church. But there is a quote that I love that says uh, from the Puritans that says, "To be truly happy is to be holy and live to the glory of God." So the Puritans then were incredibly happy people, happy home lives. They had happy marriages, um, happy relationships. And they wrote so many texts actually on marriage and how to have your home uh, mimic like a mini church and discipleship in the home. Um, There's another quote uh, that I love that says from a commentator that says they practiced that God centered living brings joy. And I just loved that. Like, They were really taking doctrine and applying it to life. And it brought them joy. Um, And that's truth. It is truth. It's truth.
1: We are miserable when we're
0: disobeying God.
1: Absolutely. We are miserable. We hurt
0: ourselves. And they knew that. And so they were like in every area. Yeah.
1: He's got the best one.
0: Another commentator said this about the Puritans, um, that the Puritans brought the Reformation into the home. Mm. I was like, that's a great way to say it. it." Yeah. And then in the words of a Puritan, holiness possesses an internal pleasantness that is better felt than expressed. This is Richard, I think it's Alstree, from The Beauty of Holiness. So that's a huge one, daily living with the Puritans. The second um, one that I have gravitated towards um, a lot is what they talked about with suffering. The Puritans are well known for their writings and teachings on suffering since they themselves had experienced a lot of suffering, namely persecution. They also lived in the 16th and 17th century where there were Plagues, illnesses, Um, much more prevalent was death of infants, children and women during childbirth. And if you read some of actually the Puritan women writings, they would talk about their fear of childbirth, but then how much they trust the Lord. It's it's very impactful. Um, yet in their suffering, their eyes were fixed on Christ. Listen to a Puritan, John Flavel, talk about what suffering produces in the life of a believer. He says that the power of godliness did never thrive better than an affliction. I mean, mm. they practice, the Puritans practice a sound theology of suffering. It is one of their hallmarks. Yes. And they suffered a lot. Flavel also called suffering sanctified afflictions. Oh, I was like, I love that when I read that, because it is a means that God uses to wean us off of the world and push us to Christ. He said that suffering awakens the believer to, quote, pray more f- frequently, spiritually and fervently. Oh, that the truth in that. I mean, the truth in that. You know, awakens. Yes,
1: it does. It does. And it's, it's same thing with
0: scripture, not only prayer, scripture jumps off the pages when you're suffering. It totally does. And in Flavel's mind, there was no better way to quote, ease his heart when surcharged with sorrow. I am sure the sweetest melody of prayer is upon the deep waters of affliction. Oh, think
1: the, of the How the they depth. worded things. <laughs> yes. How they think of this? Uh, their mind works so differently than we speak today. And it, and we're poorer for it.
0: Yeah. And their worldview is just so evident in the way that they wrote. Like they were, um, they knew the world was temporary. Their eyes were fixed on heaven. They had such hope even in the midst of just all the persecution, insane suffering. <clears throat> Flaville also wrote this about Christ and our sufferings that Christ looks down from heaven upon all my afflictions and understands them more fully that I, that feel them, which, means that Christ understands our afflictions and feels them more fully than we can. I loved that. Beautiful.
1: Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. I mean. It gets our eyes back on him.
0: Yeah. Richard Sibbs, another Puritan, said this about suffering, that nothing comforts the soul like the riches of Christ. Nothing makes a Christian sing away like the riches of Christ. Another Puritan, on kind of a different note, Another Puritan wrote that God is killing your lust with the use of affliction.
1: Well, yeah, I was like, true. he's he is not wrong.
0: No, he's, not, he's wrong. not wrong. Is right. So when you read the Puritan writings, their sweet submission to God is evident in how they talk about Him. Their eyes were fixed on Him. Their theology was intact, and they lived out what they actually believed about God. Even their disposition in the midst of suffering was that of submission. They trusted, you know, the sovereignty of God over their lives, and they use scripture as a means of comfort. Um, It is, if you read uh, any of the Puritan writings, it is truly incredible how they can make something that is so maybe theologically hard to understand, so easy to understand, and then so easily applicable. Like just the the gift that God gave them in writing this, and really cutting to the heart of the doctrine and making it something like, okay, I can apply this today. Exactly. And that's actually how they practiced. They would hear sermons or they would read the scripture, and it was like we do it now. Yeah. Like they did not. There was a seriousness with them, a reverence, I think, with Mm -hmm. them that um, we can learn a lot from. We
1: sure can. So we want to conclude on how did the Puritans impact church history and how is this applicable to us today? Mm -hmm. We're going to be brief with this, but Puritans brought and stressed and explained the importance of covenant theology. Uh, We did a podcast on the covenants. Please go back and listen if you're unfamiliar with covenants. Basically, they are promises of God that tie all of scripture together to reveal the meta-narrative of the bible being that of redemption through Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, and the emphasis too on this was that the puritans were like we can be in relationship with God. It was very countercultural to the type of religion that they grew up to and they saw they you know they learned from covenant theology that God is a personal God. Exactly. And this was not the case that the Anglican Church at the time was teaching. God yeah. was not this kind of relational God. So they really emphasized that.
1: Secondly, our Protestant worship is very much in the Puritan way of focus on the Word and personal holiness. Mm-hmm. This is really reflecting, we are a reflection here uh, of that Puritan thought of uh, exalting God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit yeah. through the teaching of His Word and through the worship of His name. Um, also, uh, Puritans made Bible study accessible to every member of the church. And it was so exciting. I was here Wednesday night for the first night of Bible study. The parking lot looked like Sunday morning. And it There's was full. several thousand people in Bible study, men and women. Amazing. I um, just brought tears to my eyes. I was, I, I was in awe yeah. of God. And I thought, only God can do this to draw people. Mm-hmm. But the Puritans knew the importance of Bible study. And obviously, this church is also uh, seeing that importance and how God is drawing people to that. Another thing we learned from the Puritans is we are not a church state, um, uh, a state church is maybe a better way to put that. Mm. Uh, it's not a church that's American, and where the uh, government has dictated which yeah, church like we what go religion, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the Puritans paid dearly for us to have this mm-hmm. today—that freedom from government control. Mm-hmm. Um, the Puritans have left for us such a rich legacy of writings that we must familiarize ourselves with their writings. Their writings are a treasure trove of great spiritual devotion, wisdom, and inspiration.
0: Mm. Amen. Oh Lord, we thank you um, just for the impact of the Puritans in our life today. We thank you for how you have, Moved throughout church history, um, I pray that we would also take that charge of personal holiness as seriously as the Puritans did. That we would emulate them as they emulated Christ. And so I pray that you would you would do that in us. That you would give us a seriousness um, about our sin, a reverence towards you and your Word, a joy that is contagious, um, a tenacity in sharing the gospel. And that you would, you put fire in our bellies, just like the, the Puritans had. And so, Lord, I pray that for the sisters listening, that you would do that in their heart, that you would do that in the heart of Bev and I. We thank you for um, just what you have done in the lives of the Puritans and that we thank you that we get to learn from them Lord. Just such a gift. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us on two Mondays on She's Becoming.